0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: We want to be careful that we give Him our best. And I know we can be spread thin and some of us have jobs and responsibilities and things and all that we got to do. God knows. And if you're in the place He called you to be in, He still wants your best. And maybe for some of us, you're going to give your best at work that He might be glorified maybe why everybody else at work is slacking and they're just dogging it that you come in and you just say I'm not going to not going to succumb to that. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a diligent laborer, diligent worker that they might see how I work and say what's different about you? Jesus. It can
0: be hard to pour yourself completely into everything you do. We often get caught up with wanting to know God's calling for our life and fret about how we have no time to fulfill it. But today, Pastor Bill reminds us that for many of us, our job is God's calling for our life. We should work our job like we're doing it for the Lord himself. If all the time you have is the time that you're working, make it count. Stand apart with your work ethic and make people notice that there's something different about you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter three, for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: There's some people that God has gifted in some ways, but they've, they've never given themselves over to it completely. You know, I, I know I'm pretty good at this over here and I, I got a little bit of that over there. And I, I see that when I do this, God blesses it. But so I don't work real hard at it, you know, just but it's there. I kind of know I got it. And there's some people that are content to be in that space as a Christian. I know I could do a couple of different things, but I'm not going, I don't want to do them too good. You know, they might make me do it permanently or something, you know, just don't give themselves entirely to it. Uh, there's a verse. If you're writing notes, you can write down first Timothy chapter four, verse 15. And as Paul was ministering to Timothy about the ministry God had given him and how he was to be studying the word and how he was sowing the word into his heart, God told him concerning the ministry he was called to, he said, give yourself entirely to them, these things, these doctrines, these truths. Don't hold anything back. Don't waste anything. Now that you have purpose, give yourself to it entirely. And so I would encourage you and myself that as we're aware of our gifts and our callings, that we give ourselves entirely to it. Uh, Maybe some of us, we're not going to be born again again. And we're not going to, you know, necessarily renew our commitments to the Lord. But maybe some of us here could renew our efforts. We can say, God, you know what? I, I know that I've been given this, but I haven't given myself over to it entirely. And so maybe for some of us, you write those things down, got it? This is something I know you've given me and I maybe have done it with this much percent of my heart or this much percent of my effort. I want to see what you'll do if I give myself over entirely to it. Uh, I'm amazed at what people can do when they give themselves entirely over to something. There are some people that are kind of naturally talented in an area. I know some guys when I was in high school that were, they were natural athletes. That means that they just had Without anything extra, without any coaching, without any working out, they naturally were already a jump above everybody else. They had just had natural, some genetic giftings and whatnot. Now, you take guys like that and they work hard and work out and practice hard, and those become the elite. They already started with some things that set them apart in the beginning, but now that they've worked hard at it, it's like, man, who, who can stop him? Who can touch that guy, you know? I believe in the spirit realm in this realm of spiritual giftings and callings and whatnot that your gifts and callings represent that. That that sets you apart already. I know that these gifts everybody doesn't have but I have this one. God gave it to me. Now if I give myself entirely to it there'll be things that you realize through God you're able to do that in a way that somebody just can't randomly pick it up and do it. And so my encouragement is that we would give ourselves entirely to these things. I don't think that there's a more fulfilled life to live than a life where your your life is filled up with the thing God gifted you, called you, enabled you to do. That you're just doing that for Him. And so I encourage all of us that we would pursue the Lord uh, in those areas and let him let him lay it out for us. Uh, so one more thing in verse ten, he says, "In the outsider, verse ten, so you shall appoint Aaron and his sons; they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Who is the outsider?" The outsider is the person that steps into the priestly role that wasn't called to it. Um, he's speaking to the Levites about their calling, what they're supposed to do. The person that steps in where they don't belong, God says, put them to death. Anybody can't just walk up into the Holy of Holies, you guys. Anybody can just roll up in the tabernacle like, hey, what's going on here? Let me check it out over there. You know, I'm going to come off. Let me offer some sacrifices. Um, an example, we don't have time to go to it tonight, but if you write notes, you can write it down in your notes. Write down 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 9 through 14. Saul was getting a little antsy. There were people desiring to come against him, and he was out there, and the people were beginning to get scared and scattered. And Samuel told him he'd be there in seven days, but he wasn't there right on time. And Saul just said, okay, well then, then, then," and the people started to leave him, and he got nervous about that. He's okay, okay, stop, come back, come back. I'll offer the sacrifice. Saul wasn't a priest, was a king. And he went in there and he did it. And as soon as he got done doing it, it says, as soon as he got done, Samuel walked up. I said, man, what are you doing? You blew it. And he says, you're done. You're out. God's found a man. God's found him a man after his own heart. It's a wrap for you. For Saul, there were so many things. It was the, the not killing the Amalekites, but there again, stepping into something God had not called him to do. And God's word to him there were harsh. God said, that's it. It wasn't like, I'm going to forgive you for it. We'll, we'll try again. God said, no, I found me somebody else. A man after my own heart. You don't have my heart. And so that was it for him. And so what do we take from that? Obviously, none of us are priests, but I do think we can walk with this. As much as Saul's role was to be king and for whatever reason, he was tempted to step into this other role where he didn't belong as priest and God punished him for it. That's just not what I called you to do. You just, you, you're not even being a good king. When, when he was all antsy and worried about going over there to do the sacrifice, he should have been being the brave king that God had called him to be. He was a coward as a king. That's why the people were afraid because they're looking at their leader and he's scared. So if, you know, if, you're, if you're under somebody and they look like, hey, no, worry about this. We got this. Yeah, okay. Well, he said we got this. And so, you know, you'd be, you, you're encouraged by your leader. But they're looking at their leader. He's like, He's scared. So they're like, we scared, we leaving, as a matter of fact, you know, and they start scattering away. He was a bad leader. He wasn't even doing what he had been given to do with his whole heart. That's what happens. When God gives you something to do and you don't give yourself entirely to it. So you're not even doing well what God gave you to do for sure. Then you start putting your hands in something God didn't give you to do. And you mess that up, too. Why it's so important that we just say, God, I want to listen and hear your heart. What have you given for me? And God may not give you the whole picture. He may give you a step or two or three. But when you take whatever he gives you, you do it with your whole heart. God, if you give me one step, I'm going to run that step until I get step two. I want to go after the thing that you gifted me, called me and enabled me to do for your glory. Look at verses 11 through 13 now. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so here um, the key word is in verse 12. It says, instead, God had set this up. He took them back to Egypt. When they, were, when they were there in Egypt and what we consider the Passover where God had set apart all the, Passover, all the, the sons and God told them there the, all the firstborn sons, well, everything that comes out of the womb is going to be for me. The firstborn son, the firstborn animal, man, child, everything, the first fruit comes to me. God says now the Levites, you guys are, instead of the first fruit, instead of the firstborn, you guys set apart for me. And so this is what we're to take from that, right? When you looked at the, The firstborn or the first fruit, it was the best. It was giving God the best. And it was also giving him faith, right? Um, It was the first one that came forth. I don't know what else is coming. I don't know how much is coming later on, but I'm giving it to God first um, because he's the one that enabled me to get it. And so they did it with their crops. They did it with their animals. The firstborn child dedicated, they, they dedicated everything, the first thing to the Lord. The lesson for us in that is that, and we're saying it all the time, we want to always be giving the Lord our best in every area the best of your time, the best of your talents and gifts and energy and everything else that that God should get your best. You should save up your best of everything for the Lord each day. God should be getting the best of your time. You know, maybe you got a busy schedule, you got to work, you got to do what's What's the best time? When when are you most able to focus and, and meditate and receive? You got to give God some of that time. That, that he can have some of that time to, to, to speak to you and to minister to you. Um, some of us give God what's left. God, I, I, worked, I got up early, didn't have time to give it to you this morning. It was a busy, busy day. I went all day long, but almost just before I go to bed, just, just before you lay down, I'll give you what's left, which is not much, and you fall asleep. And you don't know if he spoke to you or if you got anything out to him, but you, that's what you give him. Some people, when they're giving, it's like that. I take my check, and I spend everything I can, and I got, I, I got $2 left, Lord. Here's a tip. And we give them that. Some people with their gifts and talents, they take the best of their gifts and their abilities and they give it somewhere else. And, and some, somebody else has their access to their gifts and their talents and all the things that God has blessed them to do. And then, then they come to the place where they should serve in church and, and fellowship with believers and they have nothing to offer. I can't offer that here. I'm busy doing that all the rest of the time. I don't have it to offer y'all. And they just come empty, nothing to give. So we want to be careful that we give them our best. And I know we can be spread thin and some of us have jobs and responsibilities and things and all that we got to do. God knows. And if you're in the place he called you to be in, he still wants your best. And maybe for some of us, you're going to give your best at work that he might be glorified. Maybe while everybody else at work is slacking and they're just dogging it, that you come in and you just say, I'm not going to not going to succumb to that. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a diligent laborer, diligent worker that they might see how I work and say, what's different about you? Jesus I love the Lord. That's why I do it like I do it. I do it for him. And in that, you're glorifying him. And if it's, if it's just got to be done through work, then you glorify him at your work. Uh, but we want to give him our best in every area. So here, once again, they're giving him the first fruits, the best to the Lord. I think none of us would deny or, you know, put away the fact that the Lord deserves our best. And I don't want to just skimp over, but in verse 13, the last words are, I am the Lord. Why does he put that there? Why does he stamp that after he says, Give me your best. I am the Lord. He's reminding them, right? He's reminding them who he is to them. I'm the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm the one that brought you guys out. That's who I, I am. I am your Lord. That's what I am to you. And we can be reminded of that too. You know, when we look at the things that God's commanded, called us to do and whatnot, that we'd be reminded. And he's the Lord he's the one that provides for my needs, he's the one that died for me, he's the one that brought me out of bondage, he's, all that he's done when I, when I, with all that's attached to the name Lord, he says I am the Lord and so we know that he is the Lord we want to make sure that he's our Lord right, that we're under submission to him, that we're, we're obedient to the things that he calls us and requests of us and so, uh, moving on now, look at verses 14 and it says now then the Lord spoke to Moses and the wilderness of Sinai saying number the children of Levi by their father's houses by their families you shall number every male from a month old and above so Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded these are the sons of Levi by their names Gershon Kohath and Merari like Ferrari but with M, I think and these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families Libni and Shimi. And the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, I, uh, I, it's a big I, Hebron and Uziel, verse 20. And the sons of Merari were uh, by their families, Mali and Mushi. Um, <laughs> these are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. So um, let's, let's go back up real quick. I want to bring our attention to the fact that they were going to be numbered from a month old and up. So it wasn't like before in chapter two where we want to know which men can go to war. Here it's, I want to know how many we have, period. I want to know how many we're going to be able to work with. We're going to find out a little bit later that the terms for the priesthood, uh, there was an age bracket that the men could serve as priests in. Um, The time frame for a male serving as a priest was between the ages of 30 and 50, and so um, you know, there may be some questions as to why. How come a 20-year-old can't serve as priest? How 25-year-old, 30 to 50? And I guess at 51, how come you got to be put out at 51? What, what's that all about? So I, I did want to take a few moments and speak to us about the different phases of life and how that every phase of life, every stage of life is different. And there's things that God's doing at every stage and we want to embrace each stage of life. As a believer, at every stage, there's something that God is doing that's important. There isn't any stage of life that's unimportant, though we live in a society that would put it out that way. I find in the world that I'm living in, that y'all are living in, that every age group seems to want to be something other than what God wants. Young kids, they're supposed to be in a place of receiving and being sown into that they might grow into the people God wants them to be. Um, But many times our young people they they rebel they don't really respect those that are above them older than them You know, that's what the world is putting out for the young people to disrespect and not receive well From those who mean them. Well those that can pour in what what happens with our older people um, I see two terrible things. I see some older people that are deciding they want to be young all over again Inappropriate (laughs) just straight up. Uh, I've seen women that is like "You, you that outfit ended At maybe 20, but that outfit is not for 50. It it definitely ain't for 60. That outfit, that's over. That that, that phase of life is a wrap. But now through all the different things that can be done, men and women, there's some men. They should be at a stage of life where there's wisdom to pour down. And they want to be a kid again. And they're out playing with toys and having midlife crises and buying stuff they don't need and everything else. So I just want to point out to us that as believers at every phase, there's something God would do. Uh, We see in the scriptures, we see young people that were mightily used of the Lord. We could just, we could look through a number of them. We could look at Daniels and Davids and Josiahs and people that were young, but God apprehended them young and they were surrendered young and God did great things to them young. Mary, the mother of Jesus was a teenager. She was young when she was set apart for that specific calling and task that set her apart for all eternity. And so in a young person's life, if they would just live separated, and allow the Lord to pour in and allow the Lord to have his way, God will use a young person for his glory. Obviously, at one-month-old, we're just numbering bodies. We're just saying, how many, how many males do we have that are going to be able to grow into this role? But this is why I'm going through this thing on ages. We're counting the one-month-old because there's potential, right? The potential for this guy to grow up and fulfill his ministry. We're looking at the one-month-old male saying, he's got potential to be this for ages 30 to 50, for a 20 year stretch to serve God in this, this critical, important way. And so we're counting him at birth, we're counting him right away. I just, this is what I think is important there, right? When do we start praying about God's purpose for our kids? I mean, we, as soon as we, as soon as you know you got one in there, start praying. As Soon as they come out, they're here, here we go. You know, we wanna, we, well, that's why we do baby dedication, just a reminder to parents that they're the Lord's, right? They feel like they're yours because they're there. They, they lay on you. You feed them and clothe them and everything else. But they're the Lord's. And so we dedicate them to the Lord. We say, God, you've given me this child. I give him back to you. My job is to raise them up in your ways and to show them how to live for you and to be an example and to teach them. I'm committing a baby dedication is really the parents committing themselves to raise up these kids in the ways of the Lord, that they might follow the Lord, that, may, that we may give him the, him or her the best chance to follow Jesus and to know who he is. And so their life counts already. We can already be looking and praying and saying, God, I know you have a plan. I know, this, I know you have something you want to do with this life. Help me to guide this one in the direction they should go in. Give me insight as a parent, as a mom, as a dad. Show me the little quirks. Show me the things that need to be driven out. Show me the things that need to be nurtured and, 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 and encouraged in their hearts. But I know there's purpose on that life already. Already because you gave them to me. So I know there's purpose already. And they may be in pampers, but there's purpose already. And so you start praying and believing and looking, looking, I already, I believe that God's got purpose already. Um, As kids are developing and growing, yeah, we teach them, we train them and everything else because God can use them as kids. Um, There's not really an age bracket where someone's not useful to the Lord. Now, uh, if you're writing notes in Lamentations, Lamentations chapter three, verse 27, it says it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. What does that mean? It's good for a man to bear the yoke. Uh, that's, that's hard work. That's, that's labor. That's, that's labor intensive. But it says it's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. What does that mean? It means this there's some unique qualities about a young life. Uh, when you're a teenager, a young adult, usually you don't, you're not married yet. You don't have five kids yet. You don't have you don't have the responsibilities that are coming fast, you know, as you get a little bit older. And so in that period, in that season of life where there's vision, they just crazy enough to do some things that old folks won't do. Um, there's, there's, and there's a benefit to that. And it said, look, it's, it's good for a young man. It's good for him to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good that in your young age, in your youth, in those years, that you would, you would be given over to work hard for the Lord. Because there are things that you're going to learn as you do so, but there's a benefit to young people. I've found that to be the case. i found as you get old, you kind of get stuck in some ways and then you bring some kids around, like, we should do it like this. Like, that's not safe. We should do it like that. It'd be fun. It'd be cool. And they just, they just got, they just a little bit crazy. But if you get like little Jesus, a little crazy, you can do something with that. So, it's good for a young man. It's good for us, them to bear the yoke in their youth. Um, we went through Titus not too long ago, and as we went made our way through Titus, we talked about the importance of the older ministering to the younger, the older men to the younger men, and the older women to the younger women, and how um, as you get into the older phase of life, you haven't run out of purpose yet, that there's a whole group of young people that don't know what they're doing. They have no clue. You've been married 40 years, they've been married four days. They need help. They need your counsel. So one of the things the enemy does is, again, he brings that divide. You know, where you look out in the world and young people look at old folks a certain way and old people look at young people a certain way, what they, their music, you know, we just, it just divides us and we don't come together. But in Christ, God will say, if you guys can come together, I need you guys to come together. That old man, I need his wisdom poured into that young man. They'll both be better for it. That, that older woman, she'll be so fulfilled and ministering to this young woman and her marriage now flourishing and, and it's just important that we, that we come together in that way. So I encourage us as a body that when we, even when we gather and we hook up, that I wouldn't be only looking to hook up with, you know, I'm looking for some other people my age bracket, some other people my age I can hang out with. Um, I gotta look beyond that, right? I'm, I'm not just here to socialize. I got purpose when we gather together. I might need to be with some young people and I ain't that old yet, but I I know a few things. I can pour some things out and I I might need to hang out with the older fellas and just let me listen for a while. Let me let me soak in and let me hear some some older wisdom. We need to be open to that. Just a couple other things. Um, And then we'll, we'll move on. Joshua 14, 6 through 10. You guys remember when Joshua and Caleb went out and they spied. They came back with a good report. Everybody else came back and said, oh, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they were scared and they didn't want to go. And Joshua and Caleb said, man, we can too. There'd be our bread. Let's go. And they couldn't do it because majority ruled and they didn't get to go. But God remembered that they believed and they had faith and they were willing to go. And God gave Caleb the opportunity in his 80s to go back and go get that land. And he said, man, I'm as strong at 80 as I was at 40, I'm I'm gonna go get me some. And I really believe this about that statement. Was he as physically strong? Was, Was Caleb this freak of nature that at 80, he was as strong as when he was 40? I don't believe that's the case. I believe this, right? When Caleb was 40, who was gonna give him the victory? The Lord. Who was gonna be his strength when he went out to battle? The Lord was gonna give it to him. That's why he said at 85, I'm as strong as I was then. I wasn't going to do it then. God was going to do it then. God's going to do it now. I'm, I'm, I'm as ready now to go as I was then. I got the same God. And he wasn't hindered at all. He didn't look at his age. He didn't say, well, now I'm older. I don't know if I can quite get up that hill the way I used to could. You know? He didn't say any of that. He said, look, I got the same God and I can and I can go. So I just would say that for anybody looking at their age and saying, well, you know, I'm just time for me to slow down. I guarantee you, God will never tell you to slow down. He may change up what you do, but he's not done with it. If you're breathing, thinking, if you're still here, right, he's not done. And so don't ever convince yourself that, well, you know, I, you know, I, was, I really went hard when I was younger, but now at this age, you need to be looking for the Lord to show you what to do at this age because he's not done with anybody yet amen all right so we'll come off of that but so they were counting them from one month old why because even at one month they had purpose because god had put his hand upon them and he intended to use them for his glory now let's move on look at verse um 21 so this is what's going to happen now it's going to break down now where they're going to break into three in the groups Gershon's going to have a group the kohathites are going to be a group Eliezer is going to have a group and Marari is going to have a group.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, he corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that he taught them are the same ones he teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what he's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that he was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryInglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.